Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me today to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings in the Old Testament chapter 19. While you're turning there, just uh, on behalf of our whole pastoral team, I just want to say thank you. Uh, many of you I know were involved in the, the special offering that was taken last week to, to bless our team. And um, I, I just, you know, it, it's something that we don't take for granted. And just want to take a moment and just, you know, in, in light of all that, many of you just, just nice thoughts and, and, uh, and, and statements that have been made over the course of the last month. And so, and just, we are so privileged. I think I speak for our whole team just to be a part of not just what God's doing here at Calvary, but to serve alongside of you and uh, the special things that God's doing here, and we're just really honored and uh, want to say thank you. A couple weeks ago, I don't know, it's, it's probably been about a month ago now, it was a, it was a Friday night, and uh, home from work and all that kind of stuff, and all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm like standing in the kitchen, and it's just me looking at Rhonda and her looking at me. Like, our kids were all, like, gone. They were, they were out. They're all doing something somewhere, and it's just the two of us, and I just thought, why didn't we get rid of them a long time ago, right? I mean, I, just, I was like, this is awesome. What do we do? We can just do whatever we want, whatever we want to do. And so we said, well, let's go out to eat. So we went out to eat, and we had to stop by the store and stuff. And we're leaving, we're leaving the store, and I says, you know, I don't want to go home the normal way. I want to go home a different way. There was something I wanted to see. I want to drive by. And so maybe I'm just getting older. Let's go for a drive. I mean, I don't know what it was, but I was just like, come on, let's just, let's just go. And we, and we decided to go a different way. It wasn't anything, it wasn't a big deal. It was just like, hey, we're just going to go a different way. And it was, it was really cool. We were all ready today to get back into our series on the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 7. Today we were supposed to jump into um, the story of, of Stephen and the martyrdom of, of Stephen that we read about in Acts chapter 7. And we'll get there. I, I think next week we'll see, you know, with this series in Acts, we're just hoping to get it done before Jesus comes back, right? Because it just seems, you know, we're... we're, we're <laughs> Maybe, well, not, you know what I mean. So we're just, you know, we're doing this. And then through a certain chain of events, last night and then early this morning, I, I felt like God wanted us to go in a, in a different direction. So we're, we're not going to go home the normal way. We're going to go a different way today. Is that okay? I'm just going to take a, a detour. And um, as, as we do this, we're in, we're in 1 Kings chapter 19. And this is uh, a story. And, you know, I, it's probably good for me to practice what I preach. You know, we talk a lot about... Um, how important it is that you spend time in God's word for yourself. So this is a passage of scripture that several weeks ago, when I was reading the Bible for myself, not for you, but for me, that God really spoke to my heart through this passage. And I was able to share about this a little bit with our young adult group a couple of weeks ago um, during their worship night, and um, just really felt like God wanted us to land here in this passage today. So 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to walk through these verses and uh, really do think there's some things that God wants to say to us. So let's go there. 1 Kings chapter 19, let's begin with verse 1, and uh, I'll introduce you to a few people as we read along here. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and now he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So a couple of things that are important to know here. This story is about a guy named Elijah. Elijah is probably one of the most noteworthy individuals, a prophet in the Old Testament. He was, he was bold. He was brash. He was confident. He was filled with faith. He saw God do all kinds of miraculous things. And if you want to see what's probably the pinnacle of Elijah's life, read the chapter before this. In fact, I'd encourage you to go back and read it. 1 Kings chapter 18, because there's this showdown that happens on Mount Carmel. Those of us that were in Israel earlier this year in January, we got to stand on this spot on Mount Carmel where Elijah by himself 
stood against 450 false prophets. They're called the prophets of Baal. And these were the ones that the country, these are God's people, but they'd started to look to an idolatrous group of false prophets for their spiritual leadership. It was the cultural norm in that time. It was the cultural thing to do. And so Elijah stood against them, and they said, whoever won, God consumes their sacrifice. They built out a sacrifice that was up there, one against 450. That's the one whose God is real. And God sent fire down on Elijah's sacrifice, and Elijah won the battle. That's a pretty cool thing, isn't it? And then to prove the point, now that the people are behind him, and, be, and you got to read the chapter to understand the whole context, but they kill these 450 prophets of Baal. And then after that, it hadn't rained in years. There'd been a drought. And Elijah prays, and God sends rain. At the end of a drought, you get rain. That's a pretty good day, right? And then, look at this. It's an interesting passage at the end of verse 18, or chapter 18. It says, the power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab, and Ahab's in a chariot, right? So he gets his bionic legs on, and he runs ahead of the chariot. He wins the gold medal for being the fastest prophet. That's awesome, isn't it? What a chapter. God sends fire on the sacrifice. He sends rain after a drought, and then Elijah has this superhuman strength. This is an awesome story. Elijah has done all this, and Ahab is the king. Not a good king. He's an evil king who has led the people not to worship God, but to worship these false idols. And for the most part, Ahab is influenced by his wife, Cruella DeVille. <laughs> we call her Jezebel, but you get the picture, right? She's a bad character. And so Ahab says to Jezebel, this is what Elijah just did. Now, here's the deal. Those 450 prophets of Baal, those were her boys. That was her team. She was all about this false worship. And if she could put forward these false idols and these false gods, then she reinforced their influence, and they helped her build up her authority and power. They worked together. And when Elijah spoke the truth and God consumed his sacrifice, not theirs, and he killed these 450 false prophets to protect the nation and to protect the spirituality, Jezebel, as you can imagine, is not happy. You get it? In fact, watch what happens, verse 2. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. So Elijah gets a little ding on his phone, and he looks down, and he's got an email from the queen. And it says, Look, I've made a covenant with myself that the gods can come and get me if I don't kill you by tomorrow. Elijah, you're a dead man. I think it's interesting here that Elijah stood up against the culture, the norm, the expectation of his time. And what looked to be kind of like a cultural battle was actually a spiritual one. He, he stood up against what was happening there. And this is good for us to know that oftentimes we, we fight these cultural battles but it's a spiritual battlefield. And I don't know what's going on in your life. It's a relational thing, if it's a money thing, if it's a people thing, if it's a job thing, if it's a health thing, if it's a head thing. I don't know what it is. But know this, that no matter what it looks like on the outside, we are fighting battles that are spiritual. You get that, right? Like it, it, we, we use the terms like spiritual warfare or, or that the enemy is, is at work or whatever you want to say. There are these times when we come against these spiritual challenges and Elijah 
is facing one of those. Now, remember who Elijah is. He is the prophet of God. He has just wiped out the false prophets. He has just prayed for the drought to end. He knows that God brings supernatural strength, and he gets this message from the queen that says, you're a dead man. This is it. You're done. And watch what happens. Verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Does that sound like the bold man of God? Elijah was afraid. You've just seen God do amazing things. And you get one message from the queen, and it strikes him with fear. And this is really good for us to know, that fear comes even to the faithful. I think a lot of times, maybe we find ourselves in a situation where we feel some fear or uneasiness or uncertainty or we're just, we have anxiety about something, and we immediately want to think that maybe something's wrong here. And the truth is, even to the boldest and most faithful, fear comes to us at times. Anybody ever been there? So this, this is important to see. And it's interesting. It says, and he ran for his life. Now, I, th- I think it's significant because God didn't tell him to stand his ground here. So I, I think when he ran, he wasn't necessarily doing anything wrong. In fact, when we get to Acts chapter 8, eventually, we'll see that Philip runs for his life. When we get to Acts chapter 12, we'll see that Peter runs for his life. There are times when the best thing for the people of God to do is the wise thing. And Elijah sees what's coming here. The fear hits him, and he begins to run for his life. Go back to verse 3. Elijah was afraid, ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. That, That place, Beersheba, it's important for you to understand just how desperate this is. Where, where Elijah was from, where Ahab's kingdom was, was way up in the north part of what we would know as Israel. It was up in the north. And where he's gone out of this place, Beersheba, is out of Israel into what's called Judah, and he's on the edge of the wilderness, right? He's just about to go into this, this dangerous kind of uncharted part. He's, he's going out on his own. He leaves his servant there. He is trying to run as far and as fast away from Ahab and Jezebel, and look at verse 4. He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. So he goes out into the desert, and he gets to this broom tree. Broom trees, this, they, they can grow up about 10 feet tall, but it's just this scraggly-looking bush thing. It's not a great place to get shade, but it might have been the only place he could find. And so he stops there, and listen to these words again. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Does that sound like confidence? Does it sound like despair? Does it sound like depression? When you're at a place and you just go, you know, I don't, I don't know that I even want to live here. I don't know that I even want to be here. Look, there, there will be moments, there are times that come that hit us like this in life. Here's something really significant. In, in chapter 18, all the things that we just kind of summarized that happened to and through Elijah, he was in, at the highest of highs, wasn't he? And yet you turn the page one more chapter, he finds himself in the lowest of lows. Life will come at times with highs and lows. Have you found that to be true? And here's what I've found. Oftentimes, 
the lows will come on the backside of the highs that sometimes you get up real high and then the low hits you real hard. Anybody? And, and, it, and it happens. I think sometimes we, we maybe have a little bit of pride when we're in the high and we get caught off guard by the low. Sometimes the enemy knows that the best time to get us is the time when we're not expecting it. Sometimes we drop our guard. Whatever it is, it's good for you to know that if you're in a place where you're at a spiritual high, where you're at a strong point, know that those lows may come after you and that you can find yourself at a place of despair or desperation or even depression in those times. And watch what happens next because this is significant. Verse, uh, Verse five, then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. He was wiped out. Here's why. Fighting spiritual battles can lead to physical exhaustion. When when you're in the midst of it, when you're in the heat of it, when you're in the throes of it, you can find yourself someplace where you are just tanked, where you're drained. I've got a really wise friend who has said to me, look, here's what you should do. You should do your very best and then take a nap. That's a good word, isn't it? I don't, and now's not the time for napping. Can I get an amen? Okay, just so you know, right? But, because um, I'm up here doing my very best. And, and um, but here's the deal. I don't follow his advice enough. And I keep going and I keep going and I keep going and I get to a place where I'm tanked. And then you find yourself in a place where that spiritual battle has left you in a spot of physical exhaustion. Watch what happens next. Look at the end part of verse five. It says, all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Elijah got room service in the desert. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) Right, the angel comes, kind of shakes him to wake him, and he looks around, and there's this little camp stove over there, and there's the bread, there's some water. It's, It's what he needed in that moment. Isn't God so gracious to us? And even in the times when we are just in such a place of despair and desperation and exhaustion, God comes along to us because he loves us. When I, when I shared this a couple of weeks ago with the, with the young adult group, it was that week, we were right in the midst of this, and I think I mentioned it in passing a couple weeks ago, that our dog had just had surgery, and he was wearing that cone of shame, right? Do you know what I mean? Because he's, he's, I know what he would do. He's got the incision. He would, he would look at it. He'd chew at it. It would itch. And then he'd mess it up and cost me more money. So we're not doing that, right? You're wearing, I don't care what the other dogs say about you, you're wearing the cone of shame, <laughs> right? But it was this thing where it was so sad. We got this 70-pound dog who's trying to maneuver around the house, and he has no peripheral vision now, right? And so you'd go to let him outside, and he'd start to just kind of move outside, and he'd clip the edge of it on the door, he gets whiplash, you know, he's trying to go out. He goes up the stairs, he's wearing that cone, and on each stair, he's catching the bottom of the cone, and he goes, all the way up the stairs. Pathetic. You know, and he just look at you, and he just lay around with his head sticking out of that cone and stuff, and at some point, you're like, oh, Samson, you know, so, and he couldn't eat or drink with the, with the, with the cone on. And so you go over, and I'd take the cone off of him so he could eat and drink, and then he'd kind of come over, and he'd you know, rub his head around the floor, and he just wants you to kind of, you know, rub his ears and rub his neck and just kind of help him before you put that torture device, you know, back on him and stuff. And my heart would go out to this dog. I love this dumb dog. I think he's, he's, like, he's like my closest friend. Some days, he's, don't tell my family, some days he's my only friend, I think. And I just, 
I love this dog. I come home late, my family's mad. I come home late, and Samson's so happy to see me. The later I am, the happier he is. Like, it's great, you know? And I just, I felt so much, and I'm sitting there, and I'm scratching behind his ears, rubbing his neck, you know, and he's just melting because he's been, and I just, I love this dumb, you're so pathetic, but I love you. And I'm not calling you a dog, but if I feel that way about Samson, how's God feel about you? Because I know there's these moments where God just kind of reaches down in the midst of my mess, just kind of rubs me behind the ears. Chad, I love you so much, even if you are so pathetic, right? And there's these moments where God just provides for us. He cares for us, even right in the midst of our exhaustion and our despair. And he comes alongside of us. Watch, watch what happens next. Go back to verse 7. It says, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. That last line there is not totally encouraging. <laughs> for the journey is too much for you. You ever heard somebody say, or you see an inspirational poster that says, God will never give you more than you can handle? Apparently not, <laughs> right? What's it say right there? It says, for the journey is too much for you. There will be times when you may come up against things in life that are more than you can handle. They're more than you can take. It's just a reminder that you can't handle that. That's when you need God. That's when you need him to come alongside. And what this passage shows us is that even in the midst of those times, God is so faithful to be there and come alongside of us. Just as we were, as we were singing in worship, my friend Janelle came up, and she said, I feel like the Holy Spirit has put something in my heart for today, that there are people who need to know that in the midst of what they're going through, God is right there with them. Like they need to know in this service today that no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're up against, and whether you're sitting in this room or auditorium too, or if you're watching on a screen somewhere, that, that you don't just take this as another Bible story, but that God's not just speaking it here, but he's already dropped it in someone else's heart to remind you today that in the midst of where God's called you, even if you're tanked, even if you're exhausted, even if you're in despair, he comes alongside of us and he provides for us. Go back to this and watch what it says. Um, verse 8, so he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. So God gives him that strength. He says, the journey's too much for you. Here's something that you need. He eats, he drinks, and then he goes on a little trip for 40 days and 40 nights. That's a long time, isn't it? Like this journey he's taking ends up being about 200 miles. It's, it's about the, the space of if you're going to go from, from here to Pittsburgh, let's say. But you're not just going on roads, right? You're going through the wilderness. You're going through the desert. And so the time that it would take you to go would be about, you're just walking it. 40 days and 40 nights. That's a long time. If you left right now, you're going to miss Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> and Elijah goes on this journey, and God takes him to a place. Here it's called Horeb, the mountain of God. Oftentimes, we refer to it as Sinai. It's the place. In fact, th this won't be on the screens, but if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. I think this is Im important to see. It's significant about the history of this place. Exodus chapter 33. This is the place where Moses is face-to-face -face with God. 
you remember when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments? Do you remember when God shows up to Moses? This is at Horeb. This is Mount Sinai. This is the mountain of God. And there's this moment where, where Moses is face to face with God. And watch what happens here. If, if you go to verse 18 of Exodus 33, then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. That's a big deal, right? God is so great that if you were to see him face to face, it would actually do you in. So watch what God says. Verse 21, then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. And then I will remove my hand and you'll see my back, but my face must not be seen. How good is God? But he says, Moses, I'll, I'll let you get as close as you possibly can because I want you to know my presence. I want you to know that I'm with you. If you read this whole passage and get the context as God's sending him out, he's saying, Moses, I want you to know that you're, you're not going alone. My greatness and my glory is right there with you. And this is where Elijah finds himself. We don't know why Elijah in 1 Kings 19 is in this same place. Did he choose to go there? Did God direct him there? Was he just kind of wandering and running for his life? We don't know exactly why. We just know that God allows him to end up in this same spot, the spot where God has already shown in Israel's history that he makes himself known. And watch what happens next. So he gets to the cave. He spends the night. And the end of verse 9 says, And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here? Elijah. You ever had anybody ask you that question? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Why are you here? And it causes you to think for a moment. And you better believe Elijah had been thinking. Remember how long he was walking? 40 days, 40 nights. You do a lot of thinking. And he was probably thinking about his situation because remember, he's already said, look, I'm the only one. You got 450 false prophets and it's just me. Now the queen's out to get me and things are bad and I'd rather not live. But God tells me I got to keep going. He's got all this time, all these 40 days. It's probably bottled up inside of him. He's probably exhausted and he's frustrated. I wonder if some of you don't need to ask the same question today. What are you doing here? Maybe God's even asking you by name today like he did Elijah. Why are you here? Why are you listening to this message? Is there something today that you just know in your heart that you need from God, that you're looking for from God, that you're asking God for? Ask yourself that question. Between you and God, what is it that you're looking for? Why are you here? God asks it to Elijah, and look at his response. You can tell he's got 40 days bottled up inside of him. God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 10, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. He's a happy dude, isn't he? He invited God to a party, a pity party. He says, Lord, I'm the only one. It's just me. 
And everything you build up is falling apart. And everybody's turned their back. And there's nobody who's hanging on to this thing except me. And I'm the only one left. You ever been in that spot where you start to feel sorry for yourself? When you think maybe you're the only one? Where you wonder if anybody else even cares or is anybody else doing the right thing or does anybody else even matter? And God, do you even know what's going on here? And I think those, those 40 days and that spiritual battle and that exhaustion that he was facing led to pity in his life. And he's frustrated and he's disappointed. And when God says, what are you doing here? He just kind of lets God have it. Watch what God says, verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain." In the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Is this, a, is this the first time God's passed by on this mountain? No, remember he did it in Exodus chapter 33. This is the place where at the moment they need it most, God has been known to make himself known to people. And God doesn't fire back at Elijah. He doesn't call him out or tell him to quit his crying. He says, Elijah, I, I think I know what you need. I think I've got just the thing that you need. Look, for some of us, you know what it's like to be in a place of exhaustion. For some of you, you know what it's like, maybe even today, to be in a place where you feel an awful lot of pity about yourself, about your situation, about where you're at. And understand this, the remedy for exhaustion and pity is the presence of God. And God knows this. And you can try to fix it on your own, but at some point, no matter what a whole amount of time might do with you trying to fix it on your own or somebody else fix it for you. It can be changed if you'll find yourself in the presence of God. So God does this. He says, Elijah, why don't you come over here? Because I'm about to show you something. Look at the next half of verse 11. Then a great powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. Isn't that interesting? God sends this wind that literally is tearing them, the mountains apart. It's shattering rocks. This is a powerful thing. Is there anybody else that when they show the footage of a hurricane coming on shore, you can't help but watch it? Anybody else? You see that wind and you see that force? It's an amazing thing. And this wind comes, and in the midst of it, it's overwhelming. It's filled with power. It's got to have a rush to it. But God wasn't in the wind. Go, go to the next verse there. It says, after the wind... There was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Wasn't that a band from the 70s, Earth, Wind, and Fire? Have you heard of them? I think this, that's... Elijah was into disco. So after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Sometimes I think we want God to move in these amazing ways. God, I want you to send a wind. Or God, would you just shake the earth? Or Lord, help me to know it's you by just sending that fire. And sometimes we've got to realize God isn't in the wind. He might not be in the earthquake. He might not be in the flame. Sometimes he speaks to us in a way that we might not ask for, that we might not expect. He thinks to us. He speaks to us in a gentle whisper. And here's why I think that is. When the wind blows, at some time, the, the wind stops blowing, doesn't it? And when the earth shakes, eventually that rumble ceases. 
And the fire comes and the fire burns out. But I'll tell you this, when you get hit by that gentle whisper, it's something you never forget. When God speaks to you and it just settles down into your soul, when you know, not because of something you've seen or not because of something you've felt, but when you just know because of someone you've experienced that God moves in your heart by that whisper, that, that one changes you forever. Look, some of us look for God in ways that we think we're going to see him and we miss how he really wants to speak to us because we don't take time to listen. Does that make sense? And there's, there's a powerful truth that's here to the point that God wasn't in the wind, and he wasn't in the earthquake, and he wasn't in the fire. But when the, when the gentle whisper comes, Elijah covers his face, reminds you of Moses, and he walks out and puts himself in a place where he can experience God. I think there's something significant there. You know, we'll say from time to time that in order for you to experience a spiritual reality in your life, sometimes it requires a physical response for you to take that step of faith, for you to respond in some way. And I think there's something important because when Elijah sensed the gentle whisper, he took the step of faith, put himself in a place to experience God. Watch what happens next, the end of verse 13. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Have you heard that question before? Same question he was asked before, right? Look at the answer. Verse 14, he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. That's the exact same answer, isn't it? Some scholars seem to think that Elijah was, was thick in the head and that he just gave the same answer again because he was still upset and he'd missed the point. I don't think so. I happen to think there's something different there because everything Elijah said was true, isn't it? I mean, that's really what's going on in his life. Have you seen the commercial? I think it's an insurance commercial where they show you two different people. They show you this girl who steps out of her house with her dad, and there's a car in the driveway, and he hands her the keys. It's like her 16th birthday, and she's so excited. And then they show you a guy who walks out of his office, and his car's up on blocks. Have you seen that commercial? Right? You know what I'm talking about? And the girl goes, oh, wow. And the guy looks and goes, oh, wow. And she goes, I can't believe it. And the guy goes, I can't believe it. They say the same words, right? But they mean something different. There's something different going on in their hearts. Elijah said the same words because they were true both times. But instead of saying them with pity, this time he says them with reverence. This time he says them realizing who God is. Because when he experienced God's presence, it changed him. When you experience God's presence, it gives you perspective. It helps you to see things in a different way. There's a passage of scripture that I, in my own life I've gone to a lot. In fact, we've, we've used it several times in different sermons over the years, but it's Psalm 73. And it's this passage of scripture where the psalmist is looking at how everybody else's lives seem to be better than him. Anybody? And he's frustrated. And he's saying it's not fair that those people have that and do that and live that way, and they don't love God the way that I do. They're not obeying God the way that I do. And he allows the frustration and the pity and the exhaustion of his life to almost get the best of him. But watch what he says. Psalm 73, verse 15. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, 
It was oppressive to me. Have you ever had a thought that was oppressive in your mind? Like it got stuck? It went from oppressive to obsessive, and it stayed there, and you kept going back to it, and you were frustrated by it. And he says, look, this, this thought was like a cloud over me. Verse 17, till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. He says, look, when I got into God's presence, that's when I got perspective. When I heard the gentle whisper, that's when I understood it. That's when I saw what was going on. And what happened to the psalmist is happening for Elijah. And in his frustration and in his disappointment and in his pity and exhaustion, he now finds himself in a place where he has been face to face with God. He has heard the gentle whisper. He has experienced his presence. It's changed his perspective. And now, now that his heart has been changed, now God can help him take the next step. See, he wasn't ready because of his exhaustion and his pity and his fear and everything else. He had to have that experience with God so God could then release him to do what was next. And watch what happens in verse 17. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Are you kidding me? How long was the trip there? 40 days and... Isn't 40 days bad enough? Why do you got to put the nights on there, right? It makes it worse. And God says, Elijah, go back the way you came. If I'm Elijah, I'm going, God, no, because I get it now. I understand it. I'm better. I'm not so moody. I I, 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 I sense it now. I've seen your presence. God says, great. It'll only take you another 40 days and 40 nights to get where I want you to be. Because I think all the time that, that Elijah took winding up on the way to get there, He needed those 40 days to wind down before he got where God wanted him to be. He needed that time to be ready for what God was doing. And so many times, I want, you're not like this, I'm like this. I want things in my timing. And I want things in my way. And God says, my timing's better. Why don't you just ride this thing out? Why don't you trust me? Go back the way you came. And then he says, and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elijah, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, that's an unkind name, Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as a prophet. And Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Do you see what God said there? He says, Elisha, what have you been saying to me? How many people do you think I have? And Elisha goes, I'm the only one. And now God says, look, I got a whole lot more. I've got 7,000 that I've reserved. And and you might not know this, but you are not on your own. And you are not by yourself. And there are others who are with you. And Elijah, you, you are despairing. You don't see this. But Elijah, I have a plan. And even in the midst of where you are, now that you've experienced my presence, you can see I've got a plan, and I'm leading you through this, and I have people who will walk through this with you, and I know exactly what I'm doing. And Elijah, I'm just asking you to trust me, but he never could have gotten any of this until first he was in the presence of the Lord. And if there's anything significant about this, so many times we want the wind, and we want the fire, and we want the shaking, when what we really need is that moment in God's presence where he can remind us, I am your strength, I am your provider, I am the one who is with you, and I'm I'm telling you, you're not alone, and I've got this thing figured out. I'm just asking you to trust in me. 
And so I'm going to ask our worship team to come at this time, and we're just going to take a few moments to respond. Because I, I'm very confident, I know it's not everybody, but I'm sure it's somebody, who is wrestling with some things that bring fear. Or maybe you feel like you're at a place of exhaustion. Maybe you've even slid into a little bit of pity. Maybe you think that, that you're all by yourself in this, or that God maybe doesn't really have a handle on this thing. And what you need today more than anything else before you walk out of this room, before this message is over, is that you experience the presence of God. And it might just be a gentle whisper, but that gentle whisper can change your life. So I'm gonna ask you to stand with me if you would, please. And I know we've already sung it once today, but it's, I think it's a powerful song. And it just, when you listen to the words again, it so fits where we're at. that We're gonna sing that song at the mention of your name. And here's what I'm even going to invite you to do right now. If you know that in some way God was speaking to you through this word today, I don't know what it is, but if you just say, God, I need your presence in my life today, would you just lift your hands to the Lord? Just with a moment of openness to say, God, I need you. God, I need your presence. Holy Spirit, I need you to be active in my life. Today, I need my perspective changed. I need my, my life strengthened. I need confidence in place of fear. Lord, I need your presence. We're going to sing this song at the mention of your name. Would you let the Lord speak to you today? Thank you. Sometimes for a spiritual reality to happen in our lives, it requires a physical response. And I know that this might not necessarily be the easiest room to to move around in, but I think for some of you, this is actually really important. That in these next few moments, we're going to sing this song again. If you would just say, God, I need your presence. God, I need to hear that gentle whisper. God, I need your help and your strength and your encouragement. And I'm going to ask you, and, and it might just be one person, but don't talk yourself out of this, to step out of your seat and come and find a place to stand or to kneel down here just to take a few moments and say, God, I need your presence. God, I need your help. God, I need to hear your gentle whisper. Miko, as you, as you lead us in that again, as she leads us, would you come and find a place to stand? Say, God, I need your presence. For many of you, this is a really significant moment. Don't talk yourself out of it. Be open to say, God, I need your presence. I need to hear that gentle whisper. God, I need your work.
There's one other thing that's really significant is that God says very clearly to Elijah, Elijah, you're not alone. You think you're by yourself? I got 7,000 others. You're not alone. And, and I think that's really significant, especially for those of us that are standing down here at the front. And so I'm going to ask some of you, and, and whether this is here in this room or even over an auditorium too, that, that if God's stirring something in your heart, I would love it if some people would come down here. Maybe you know a story with somebody here. Maybe you even don't. But just come and put a hand on somebody's shoulder and just pray words of life into them. Pray words of faith over them. Pray words of encouragement for them that they would know that they're not alone, that God brings strength, that God brings help, that we can pray for one another. And, and physically, I would, I would ask for some of you to step out of your seats and come and stand here to pray with and encourage one another. We're going to continue to sing that. But as we pray for one another to know you're not alone. Mika, would you lead us again? Thank you. gentle whisper. Lord, I, I pray for those here at, at the front, here at this altar today. Lord, and even for those who know that they should be here. Lord, in this moment, would you help us to sense your gentle whisper? Your whisper that says, in the midst of your fear, I'm your confidence. Your whisper that says, in the midst of your exhaustion, I'm your strength. Your whisper that says, when you have lack, I provide whisper that says when you don't know what way to go I bring direction your whisper that says that when you feel like you're all alone I, I, I bring along an army your whisper that says even in the midst of all the noise of life I'm, I'm the gentle voice that speaks hope to you your whisper that says I have people and I have a plan and that as you put your trust and confidence in me I'm going to lead you I'm going to guide you 
thanks for speaking to us by your gentle whisper today. Lord, may it be a, a voice that's so loud in our souls that we can't ignore it or resist it. Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. We pray you'd send us out with your special favor and with